You are listening to That'll Preach. This is a weekly show on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. We're in the middle of our ODG series, Old Dead Guys, looking at some of the theologians of the past to help us understand issues of the present. And uh, one of the things that we want to talk about today is our main man, Clive. <laughs> the Clivester himself. No one calls him that but you. I call him. We're, we're, on, a, we're on a nickname basis. Well, actually, that's his real name. Do you I know his middle name? What? Do you know his middle name? Staples. Wow. All right. That's impressive. Staples Lewis. Do you know that he died the same day that JFK did? Did he really? The exact same day. Yep. But uh, his death was overshadowed by JFK's. Mm -hmm. So the world just didn't notice. You know, Staples, the store, is named after him. (laughs) Not many people know that. (laughs) But uh, Uh, we're talking, of course, of C.S. Lewis. I think he's been called the the patron saint of evangelicalism. Yeah. If Catholics... If we were more Catholic, we would just call him Saint C.S. Lewis. Saint Lewis. Saint Louis. Saint Louis. Oh, <laughs> that's good. I never man, noticed that. We just that. had a moment right there. <laughs> we got to copyright that. Saint Louis. But uh, C.S. Lewis has written a lot of great stuff. Many of you listening uh, probably are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, his children's series. Um, also, the book *Mere Christianity*, probably his most popular nonfiction work. That's probably right, yeah. And uh, but today we're going to look at the Screw Tape Letters. Really, really insightful book, and we're going to apply the Screw Tape Letters and the the insights of C.S. Lewis to the concept of temptation and some of the wisdom that he brings to the surface about how we fight temptation and how we root out uh, sin in our lives. And uh, talk a little bit, Paul, about the Screw Tape Letters. What's the deal? What's unique about the Screw Tape Letters? It's interesting because you think like throughout the history of the church, nobody has been like as good as C.S. Lewis in terms of just understanding human psychology. So this book, Screwtape Letters, the the context or the framework, it's an older demon named Screwtape who's uh, exchanging or corresponding in letters to his nephew, Wormwood, who's kind of like a rookie demon. Um, and he's teaching him the the tricks of the trade, so to speak, how to be a good demon, how to, uh, his Christian that he's working on, how to lead him astray, how to make sure he doesn't get close to God, these kinds of things. So he's, uh, giving him tips and advice the same way, like, uh, uh, tool maker would with his apprentice. That was a really bad analogy, but something along those lines, he's, he's telling his apprentice how to be a good demon essentially. And in doing that, uh, he's relying on just understanding human psychology, understanding how humans work. Like, how do you get a Christian to not pray? Well, you do this. How do you get a Christian to lust? How do you get a Christian to not think that God is there with him? So all of these things rely on like just a deep understanding of human psychology. And Lewis has that to an extent that I think, I don't think we see that anywhere else as strongly in Christian, uh, in the church history. Uh, you get a little bit of that with Augustine and his confessions. He's just like deeply introspective and seems to understand humans. But C.S. Lewis is just a whole nother ballpark, which is why I think this is like, it is his most unique contribution to the church. Well, it's what's so insightful about it is he roots everything not in, not primarily in external actions, although they're related, but he he, relate, he, he basically says that the reason we face or we succumb to temptation and the reason that uh, we feel far from God and all these things is because of a self-centeredness mm. that he really makes the self the the or or, or an over focus on the self as the root of a lot of problems, which you could really call pride. Yeah, and uh, we've that got a insight, series on that. What's that? We've got a series on that. I know, I know. It's, it's amazing. 
But that's that that C.S. Lewis is so good at writing in words, which you've always kind of thought, but you could never articulate the way that he does. As opposed to writing in pictures. Exactly. <laughs> but that is his, like you said, his insight into human psychology is so precise and so accurate. Hmm. And uh, and he really gets at the ways that we think we're being virtuous and we're really not. I think that's why people really like his stuff. Yeah. Because he kind of, he doesn't just go, don't do bad things. He goes, well, sometimes you're doing good things for the wrong reasons. Hmm. And sometimes it's you're doing uh, external righteous things for sinister reasons. And, and, and you really, he really takes a knife and kind of splits us open yep. to see what's going on under the surface. As you're reading Screwtape, it almost feels like you're reading or looking at a mirror. It's like reverse <laughs> discipleship. Like it is, how, yeah, yeah. It's like how a demon would disciple another demon. Which is why, it, I mean, just thinking through that lens is so practically just important. Like when you think about what, how is it that like I'm most prone or susceptible to failure or temptation in my life, looking at those problem areas and seeing like, what are the typical ways that human psychology is prone to failure? Um, like what are the ways that we are easily distracted with prayer? What are the ways that we're easily distracted with, you know, X, Y, Z, or like coming to wrong conclusions about God's love or humility. Um, so by like illuminating that from like, the, the demon's eye view of how to take down a human, essentially, it does give us like added tools to our arsenal as Christians to be a little bit more just discerning and cautious and reflective of our own actions and thoughts and behaviors, and hopefully to be able to apply some correctives in those areas and grow. Well, ju and just to clarify things, when you read the Screwtape Letters, like you mentioned, it's from the demon's perspective. Right. So you're reading it and it's flipped on its head. So uh, Wormwood is, wait, Screwtape is writing to Wormwood. Screwtape is mm -hmm. writing to Wormwood, who's his nephew, right? Right. And Screwtape is trying to teach Wormwood how to be a good demon. Yep. So everything is flipped. So when he says our enemy, he's referring to God. Mm -hmm. When he says what I want you to do, he's saying what he wants the demon to do to tempt this human subject that they're going after. Right. So it's, uh, it's everything that he talks about that's good is evil. And everything that he talks about that's evil is actually yeah. good. Yeah. And this roundabout way of attacking the idea of temptation and sin is what makes this book so insightful. Hmm. That was my insightful sound effect. <laughs> actually, somebody just texted me. So popular. But, uh, I know. It was, uh, it was actually it was a screw, it was screw tape. <laughs> He's like, don't do the podcast. So we should do this podcast. Ah. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that he, that he uh, brings up in the screw tape letters, Lewis. Um, one of the things he talks about is he... Uh, Screwtape tells Wormwood, when he's trying to tempt this human, make him focus on his inner life. Yeah. Now, inner life is something that sounds very spiritual. And, and even though it has some of new age roots, it, it finds its way into Christianity, everything. And, and there is a good sense of an inner life, your contemplative life, your life before God in your mind mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But then there's a negative association. What's, yeah. What is... Lewis getting at when he talks about focusing on your inner life as yeah. a temptation. He's getting at this, like this obsession of Christians, people in general of focusing on feelings rather than on facts or truth. So I can almost hear the Ben Shapiro meme right there. Facts don't care about your feelings, but there is an element of truth to that. And Screwtape's advice to Wormwood here is make the Christian focus on his feelings, make him try to feel forgiven by God, make him try to feel loved by God. And because in just in human psychology, those feelings aren't always there. If you have the expectation of the feeling and that goes unmet, you'll feel like a failure. You'll feel rejected. You'll feel like God doesn't love you. 
So by, by distracting, by making us emphasize and focus on feelings rather than on just the objective truths revealed in scripture, that we are loved by God, that he's never going to forsake us, that we are forgiven just by asking and repenting. Those are the things we should look and focus on, not like our inner psychology or inner states or inner feelings. But so this is like, you know, the, the demon's trick or like one of the, one of the tools of the trade, make the Christian's attention divert from scripture and from God again, back onto the self. So the spotlight is always divert the attention from God, from other people, from all these good things and make that person focus in on themselves. And when they do, you look inward, you're, you know, hopeless, you're dejected. The feelings that you want aren't always there. And so we shouldn't put stock in feelings. We should put stock in the truths of God. And so one of the the sinister ways that uh, Satan gets us to fail as Christians is by moving our attention from fact to feeling. So there well, you go. Well, ben Jesus, Shapiro would be proud. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus, Ben Shapiro, if you're listening to this. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. We love you. Um, well, Brian loves you. Oh, <laughs> now we're going to get in trouble. But uh, Jesus talks about this where he's like, look, the Gentiles, they heap all these phrases hoping that they'll be heard by God. But your father knows what you need before you ask. Yeah. So just ask. Don't watch yourself pray. Pray to God. Don't mm. look at yourself praying. Right. And uh, we, we have this sort of self-consciousness that distracts us a lot of times. I think Lewis says this in Screwtape Letters. He says, teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their successes in producing the desired feeling. Yeah. And never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. What a great, good. I mean, he's basically that's saying, good. look, you just might be cranky and that's why you don't feel anything. You might need to eat a sandwich, right? Right. You just might have a different temperament, mm -hmm. but make that the, the end all be all of truth. And then you become a slave to your emotions. And so eventually you'll be discouraged from praying at all. And that's the whole idea. When he says you pray and you go, well, I didn't feel anything. Hmm. And then, you know, this demon is like, you got him. Yeah. You got him. Just yeah. make him focus. Or you pray and you do feel something and you feel like that, that, you know, that means uh, that whatever you're praying about is true, which may not be the case at all. Hmm. And so I love that when he says, you got to be careful how you, what kind of metrics you're using for seeing whether prayer is reliable. Hmm. On, on the issue of prayer also. So this is a theme that comes up a lot in the screw tape letters because the demons recognize that prayer is like one of the most powerful tools in the arsenal or toolkit of the Christian. Um, so another brilliant insight that Lewis has here is he has screw tape telling Wormwood, make the Christian feel like he doesn't have to pray actual prayers. Make him think like prayer is just this spiritual state of being where I'm always praying. Like my life is constantly in a posture right. where I'm just all like my life is a prayer to God. My, my whole being is a whatever. And so in doing that, <laughs> you actually end up living a life where you never pray at all because you've over-spiritualized prayer. Um, you can almost like demonize or begin to think poorly of formal prayers or like get together like with people and pray. And you think like, well, that's, that's too formal. That's constrained. That's legalism. That's piety. That's, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to live this like spiritual life of prayer here. The downside is that is a life that's devoid of prayer. And uh, Screwtape is happy when the Christian does that, right? Like the demons are happy that we've succeeded in getting the Christian to not pray um, by causing them to think that this more spiritualized state of being is better than, you know, formal prayer or like getting together with Christians and actually doing the nitty gritty life of prayer. 
Well, we think in the modern age or modern times, we think that everything that's spontaneous is authentic. Yeah. Which is a, I mean, if you think that you probably say some really terrible things around people, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, that's not true. That, that spontaneity equals spirituality. And one of the things that is so tempting about that, like you were saying, is, you know, when people say, I'm always in prayer, I'm right. always, is that you never actually pray. Well, why mm. is that? Because part of spontaneity is, well, when I feel like it, I will. Well, the issue is you rarely you don't feel, like, feel it. like it. Yeah. And the times when you need to pray the most are especially the times when you don't feel it. Yeah. When you feel the weakest, when life is the most overwhelming, when you feel the most dry, that's the time when you do need to draw near to God. Mm. And if you have this sense of it must be spontaneous, it's got to feel real to me, well, then you're never really going to pray. And you're going to um, avoid the very thing that you need, which is to come to God. And that's why Books like the, the Book of Common Prayer or Valley of Vision or just the Anglican Daily Office, written out prayers that you can use, the Psalms. I mean, good grief, the yeah, Psalms, yeah. right? Why do we need these? Well, because God has given us words in the Psalms, and he's also uh, providentially given us these great works by human authors mm. to give us guideposts and to be kind of prayer coaches for when we don't feel it to build that into our lives, to say, let me get you started with some things you can start to pray about. Absolutely. Because we we run out of prayer because we run out of things to pray about. Yeah. And this enriches our prayer life. But we have to not think about it as merely a spontaneous thing and not be afraid of things like discipline and yeah. practicing prayer and regulated times of prayer and having written prayers to help us. Yeah. I think people tend to think that spontaneous prayer, <laughs> prayer. Oh, man. Spontaneous prayer is more free uh, because it's not constrained, it's not whatever. But I just like experientially, I tend to find that like spontaneous prayer, not prayer, can almost Maybe be like be called prayer though. Prayer it's because not it's real spontaneous. Prayer. It's, it's free. <laughs> it's fake prayer. It's, it's fake. prayer. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> fake prayer. The fake prayer. But spontaneous prayer can sometimes like there's this added pressure to feel like you have to come up with like cool sounding phrases or like you want to sound meaningful or original and so there's this added dimension of difficulty when coming up with spontaneous prayers whereas i enjoy reading like the psalms or praying through like prayers that have been written before like well thought out well written prayers so that i don't have to like do the heavy mental lifting i've got the words there and i can pray those and mean those without having to like construct sentences and figure out all these other kinds of things so there is another dimension of freedom um just in doing formal prayers in that way and they're both good like it's not that like, I think people think if you've got a formal prayer, you're not going to mean it, or it's just ritualistic. That can be true of spontaneous prayer as well. Right. So it's all about the motivation and the heart. You can mean a prayer when you read it. You can mean a prayer when you do it spontaneously. To God, it's it's the same. And what gets you to pray more is the biggest thing. you know. Yeah, and yeah. I think that having sure. disciplined times of prayer is a generally a helpful way to do that. Yeah. You know, not that, again, we're not saying spontaneous prayer is bad. We're right. just saying you shouldn't use that to to dissuade yourself from using written prayers or practice times of prayer. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that C.S. Lewis points out is why does, why does uh, Screwtape want Wormwood to stop the guy from praying? Well, he wants to disconnect him from God. Absolutely. And because one of the things that he says, this is another great quote. He says, um, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. Mm. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Yeah. So if he can attack your prayer life and just slowly just wean you off to think, well, you know, this is kind of over, this is kind of too legalistic to determine times to pray and 
and I need to feel it. And it's just those little gradations mm-hmm. that lead us downward. And that's something he talks about, not just with prayer, but with sin in general. Yeah. That it's a, it's a gradual downturn towards destruction. I think that's one of his biggest insights, actually. In When, when Screwtape tells Wormwood, make the descent, make the, the falling away, make the backsliding super gradual. It's gradual so that the Christian doesn't feel it. Nobody right. ever like feels that they've backslidden. It's only like after the end result that you've noticed it. But the backsliding process is not something that you often feel because it's so slow, almost to like a sinister point. Um, and it's as, as you say, like it's cutting out bits of your prayer life. It's cutting out uh, Christian fellowship. It's engaging in, you know, maybe I'll feed this habit just a little bit, but never to a point where it like hurts you or like taints your conscience really it's so gradual that it's almost indiscernible which is why it's so sinister but it's it's deadly and it's effective for that reason because it's not noticeable it's almost like a cancer that's growing you know just a few cells at a time right and then you know six months later you've got a massive tumor and you're like how did that get there you got to catch it early yeah exactly i mean nobody wakes up wanting to commit adultery right they don't just wake up one day from a from a happy marriage and a faithful life to just waking up one day and just wanting to do that. It's a slow, it's it's sidelong glances. It's mm. it's the, the fantasizing. It's discontent on this thing. It's Bitterness. the argument. It's just oh, yeah. building over time. And uh, nipping it at the bud is so crucial. There are no small sins, mm. you know, in that sense. But uh, but to but to make a man regard them as small sins, which Lewis talks about, yeah. is part of the trick. Right. And by the time you realize you're in the hole, you're like, how did I slide in here? Yeah. And you realize it's just one little inch at a time. I think this is why you think about shows like Breaking Bad or Mad Men. Use discretion in watching those shows. I'm not <laughs> recommending them. I'm just saying, you know, but they both feature these uh, uh, leading males who are on this slow descent into destruction. And what's fascinating is you watch it and you still root for them. You're somehow along with them on this ride to self-destruction because at every point they justify it. And it's yeah. just a small little thing. And well, I deserve this. Mm. And then you're at the bottom with them going, like, how did like I how why do I still love this character? You know? And but that is, it's such a brilliant way of showing the slow descent of sin that you end up from justification to justification to ending up in a hole that you're like, How how did I get here? It, that's super convicting. Like if it you is. just just think about your life and like right. all of the times that you've excused some behavior on account of, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well in general. And so this, it's just, you know, it's just a one-off or it's not that big of a deal. Christians, you know, Christians and they're like legalism Christians are, you know, they're really high standards, whatever, you know, God gave us freedom. These are like all, while they're true, we can also use them to like excuse and justify bad things that are small in the moment, but like you said, those are the kinds of things that blow up later on and lead to the the equivalent of tumors in our Christian lives. And we don't feel them until they're like too big and need to be dealt with like more drastically. Well, one of the things that he talks about that goes unchecked, uh, like you were saying, the tumor that spreads and, and you know, is the, um, is the pride that people can feel, not just with, you know, prayer, hmm. I don't need to do prayer or I'm already spiritual enough, but with church, you know, I mean, he talks yeah. about how if you make a man really critical about every church, mm. he will feel better. Or if you point out the hypocrisies of the church, which there are many, yeah. but then he uses that as a, as a justification for him not to be around the church. 
Um, I thought that was really interesting as well. Another we never do that, Brian. Way, yeah, yeah, other people, other yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Talking about yeah. a friend, but <laughs> you know that's a convicting thing, yeah. right? That, oh, yeah. that you can, you may even be right in some of your critiques, but that that holding on to it, that using that to justify sin, that the using that to justify being consumeristic with the church, right, <clears throat> uh, is just like being prayerless over time. It's going to make you a hollow person and mm. you're going to isolate yourself yeah. and to your own destruction. It's a powerful vision. Yeah. I mean, he he likens the church shopping to just the person who, who has like a list that's never going to be met. And as a result of that justifies never being truly embedded in a Christian community because every Christian community is going to have its flaws. And if you set up an unrealistic standard, it's like the person who you know, wants to get married on the surface, but has a list of demands that no person can ever meet because people are, you know, imperfect by nature. Um, you've got this church shopping mentality <clears throat> that actually prevents you from ever being united to a Christian community. And that's going to destroy your Christian life like nothing else. Um, the overcriticalness is going to make you unable to receive what God has for you in the Christian community you're in. So even if there is, you know, bad stuff, even if there is stuff that is worthy of criticism, it's about that, like the, that habit or that tendency of just being the kind of person whose instinct is criticism rather right. than you're receiving. trigger happy. Yeah, yeah. You're trigger happy. And that's the flaw there rather than like, uh, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones kind of thing. You're just like, I'm just going to go find all the bones and collect those and like make a big deal out of them. Show everybody. I found all the bones. I found all the problems. Right. Um, and so you've missed all of what God has for you in this community. And that is, I mean, that's going to destroy your Christian life. You don't have fellowship. You don't have all these good things. And it doesn't, they, a church doesn't have to, obviously there's no perfect church, but just because a church isn't perfect or has some major flaws doesn't mean you can't gain something from it and that you can't serve. I mean, obviously. Hmm. And I think that is sort of a, something when we talk about church hopping and it's, and we're, you know, we want worship like this and preaching like this and all this stuff. And it's like, but the life of the church is these are just real people with mm. their flaws and your pastor is flawed and he's got weaknesses and all the staff has weaknesses. The elders, everyone is just in this together and it's hard in real life. Right. Right. Mm. And we can kind of remove ourselves from that with these haughty, righteous reasons. Mm. Right. Uh, and, and in reality, we are just like when we become prayerless, you know, because we want it to be real and feel authentic. Yeah. Well, we end up going away from the very thing we need. And same thing with the church when we want something that speaks to us or something that's just rigid or something like that, we end up cutting ourselves off yeah. from the very thing that we need as well. So again, all this is about self-focus. Yeah. Um, I thought another thing Lewis said that was fascinating is he says, um, he talks about false humility, mm. right? And that kind of comes off the back of what we're just talking about um, where, where he, you know, he, he, the, the trick is that once a guy realizes that he's humble, pride <laughs> yeah. pops up yeah. and, and how that's, that's another trap that springs for us. Yeah. It's like every single time you're, <laughs> every single time you notice your own humility, that's, that's, there's like the temptation to pride. It's like right there, man, look at that person, how, you know, we both served and they posted on social media, but I didn't look how amazing I am. And then boom, that prideful thought is right. there. Or even if you catch that prideful thought and you don't you know, become prideful at not posting on social media. You can become prideful at the fact that you caught yourself and weren't prideful. And so there's always every single time you're humble about a given behavior, the temptation to pride is there. It's always there in the background. Um, 
And so Screwtape's advice to Wormwood there is make the Christian think that humility is about focusing on how bad you are. That humility is going around saying, man, I suck. I'm right. terrible. I, there's nothing good. Even if you are a great, you know, violin player, I, I'm a terrible violin player. I suck. It's kind of that false modesty where you might actually be saying false things about yourself. Um, so if you get Christians to think of humility in this way, you've won as a demon because what you've done there is again, you've shifted their attention back onto themselves. Whereas Lewis puts it beautifully. I think he's got the best definition of humility. Humility is not self-deprecation. It's self-forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. It's the person who doesn't think about themselves at all. They're not even, they're not thinking like, man, I suck or man, I'm not good at this or man, look at how just unfortunate or I'm like their attention is on other people. Their attention is on God. Their attention is truly other centered. So it's not self-deprecation. It's true self-forgetfulness. And the person who has that is that's what true humility is. I think this was in mere Christianity. It might've been in mere Christianity where he talks about when you encounter a truly humble person, you yep. won't think that they're humble. Yep. You'll just find that they were enjoyable to talk to and they were genuinely interested and cared about your life. Right. And <laughs> I think that that is powerful it, because it's almost like to be humble, you have to not be focused on you being humble in a sense. Exactly. You focus yeah. on the other person Yep. and you will be humble. Now there is a, a self-awareness <laughs> that you have to, you know, you can humble yourself, right? That the Bible commands us to humble ourselves, but we're not doing it, like you said, in a self-deprecating way, which is just mm. a way of drawing attention to ourselves. Exactly, just yep. a way of feeding the ego in a in a more perverse way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we and we also don't do it uh, out of you know sometimes out of a fear of not being accepted by people. Maybe if I act this way, that mm. they'll they'll accept me more. Well, no, you do it out of a genuine love for the other person and a genuine valuing of the other person and yourself. Right. You, you rightly understand yourself before God, right? You don't lie about yourself saying mm-hmm. that you're unlovable. You're not. God loves you. Right. Saying that you're less than you are. If you're a great violin player, don't be falsely humble. Right. Like you said, and right. be like, I'm terrible. Because but use, use your violin playing, just enjoy it as a good, use it to serve people, you know? Yeah. Praise and people Absolutely. say good job. They say thank you and, and, and give glory to God and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. You don't have to make it this big dramatic deal. And and that, and you know, that a lot of over-spiritualization is that. It's trying to draw attention to yourself, to your performance, to your religiosity, oftentimes to cover up another area of weakness. And really, it's just like, I feel like C.S. Lewis is over and over again, just trying to be like, get over yourself. Yeah, man. yeah. Get over yourself. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus says when you fast. You know, anoint your head, look clean, go out and live your life as if you normally would. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't wail and cry and make a big deal out of it. Because in doing that, you've totally undermined the point of the activity. You've drawn the attention back to yourself. So again, it's not about self-deprecation. It's about self-forgetfulness. Once you've truly become self-forgetful, that is when you've become like Christ. <laughs> and right. none of us are at that point yet, right. but that is like the call that we, as Paul talks about, that we're crucified with Christ, that Jesus calls us to crucify ourselves daily. And so that it's literally just Christ living in us and through us and not ourselves. It's self-denial, self-forgetfulness. That is the call of Christianity. And it's a hard one, but. Well, he, he emphasizes how hard it is when he says, count you know, the, the, cost. The, the ultimate thing, you know, the, the, the thing that, uh, screw tape is most afraid of is someone who's obeying God in the midst of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, like the Job-like figure mm. when every, I think he says um, that uh, when, when uh, our, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, to do God's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. In other words, the worst thing is when a person feels abandoned by God, feels like God's not in their life, is suffering, but they go, I'm still going to obey you. Hmm. Yet I will praise you, though you slay me. Like Job says, I'm still going to obey you. That's what he fears the most. What is behind that insight? What's he trying to get at with that? Oh, man. Like there's there's really like in in suffering, there's such a temptation to see that God is against us. Right. And uh, to see that our material provision is the sign of God's blessing. So that temptation is a really strong one. And we see this like best exemplified in the life of Job, that the true servant of God is the one who sees God's provision, not just in material provision, but just in sheer like existence. Like the fact that I am here, everything is God's to God and from God. And in the same way that Job, after he lost everything, refused to curse God because he knew who he was in relation to God in the same way that Jesus in Gethsemane knew that everything was going to be ripped away from him and still said, not my will, but your will. And he that, still prayed. And he still prayed. Yeah. Right. That's terrifying to right. Satan because th- at that point, the Christian has realized that God is sufficient and mm-hmm. that you can strip everything away. You can take even my life and that's not going to affect my faith or my relationship with God. That's that's terrifying from a demon's perspective, but it is that's encouraging. Like that, that should be the kind of person that we should strive to be. Um, in that our Christianity is not like we're not good Christians simply because we've got security financially, politically, economically. That even if all those things were stripped away, would we still serve God? And that's an important question to ask, right? Like, is it only because we're on the mountaintop that we're you know mm-hmm. doing well? If our faith was to be like actually put through the test, put through the fire, would we have the same results? And for some people, the answer is no. But for those who come out on the other side, there's nothing like a faith that's been forged through fire. And you look at people who've like, you know, they've been through the worst tragedies. Like those are the Christians who they're battle hardened. Like those are the ones that they've got a prayer life. They care about people. They're empathetic. They're loving. Those are the ones that you want to be around and look up to and uh, emulate. And yeah, it is. It from the point of a demon's perspective, like that's the kind of faith that makes you shudder. And that's the faith that as Christians, we should try to emulate and strive for. But that faith, like you said, it's, it's only forged in, in the fire of, of that suffering. Yeah. That's, that's what makes you the person that's loving and prayerful and right. all that stuff. And, mm. you know, uh, uh, in screw tape talks about how God, uh, or how, how, uh, Satan or, you know, Wormwood is, or, Screw tape. Screw tape. <laughs> There's lots of names to keep Screw track tape of. Screw tape is basically saying uh, you can let humans be extreme about anything. They can be extreme about love. They can be extreme about their money. Mm-hmm. The only thing you don't want them to be extreme about is God. Yeah. Because once they're extreme about God, um, that the, you know our game is up. Yeah. Because they have something that is all sufficient. Like you were saying with mm-hmm. Job, he realizes the sufficiency of God Himself. Yeah. And that detaches you from all of the traps and the tricks that Wormwood and Screwtape can throw at us. It's actually, that that's an interesting point because Wormwood basically asks Screwtape, like, 
it's, this is in the context of World War II or World War I. Mm-hmm. Um, should I tempt the Christian to be a pacifist or should I tempt him to be super like pro-military, whatever? And Screwtape mm-hmm. is like, that doesn't matter. Like, just tempt him to either extreme. Either extreme is fine so long as he's not extreme about God. Like, yeah. just make him pick a side and die on that hill and make that hill more important than the gospel and you'll have done your duty. So think about this with like political lines or whatever lines are being drawn. Like this is a hot take. Get him, get him, Paul. (laughs) You can. So there are, there are (laughs) positions that Christians can disagree on or, you know, whatever. The important point is not to pick the extreme on the political side and die on that hill. Um, If we've done that, then we've basically caved to the enemy. We've, we've done (laughs) uh, screw tapes bidding. Christians don't do that though. We don't, don't. we're we're perfect. We don't, we we never die in any hills. No. Um, But yeah, I think this is really insightful because the extremes are often distractions from the main issues and extremes can be problematic because, you know, there's lots of political agendas and whatever. And right. that, again, our kingdom is not a kingdom in this world. So it's not surprising that our views and our positions might look bizarre, but the main thing is that we be extreme in our devotion to God, which is arguably harder to do than extremism right. on any political view um, because those are the easier hills to die on. But that is the most, that's where our joy comes from. Yeah. And that's something that C.S. Lewis also circles around. Mm. And really, I think this is kind of where it all kind of comes together. I mean, he says, um, he essentially talks about how uh, uh, Screwtape is like, look, we didn't create pleasure. Like, it's sort of like, you know, we sometimes we think that God is this cosmic killjoy and, mm. de- and the devil, like hell's a big party, you yeah. know, and <laughs> heaven is just, we're in a choir and bored all the time. But that's not the, you know, that's not the case because... Screwtape says, all the same, it's his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All of our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. (laughs) Yeah. All we can do is encourage humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. And Mm. that is a mind-blowing thing where Satan is just like, I, I I never created pleasure. I didn't create sex or, you know, food or music or joy, or any of these things. All I can do is tempt people to seek those good things in the wrong way. Mm. But God is the source of everything good we enjoy that is that is right and beautiful and true. So Satan can't create. Yeah. All he can do is try to push us to disobey God. But God is the, is the brain behind all the deepest joys in life. Mm. And so when we obey him, we're, we're, we're working towards our own joy. And I like, uh, this is the last quote I'll, I'll have. He says, um, when he talks of their losing their selves, he means only abandoning the clamor of self-will. Once they've done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts, I'm afraid sincerely. And that when they are wholly his, they will be more themselves than ever. Hmm. And that again gets to what's the cure to all these temptations? It's it's death to self, but not death to self to be some kind of martyr. But when you die to self and you give yourself to God, God gives you back yourself as you were truly meant to be, a mm. worshiper of God. That is the essence of redemption. Yeah. And so it's what Jesus said, right? You pick up your cross and follow me. If you lose your life for my sake, you find it. Yeah. You don't just lose it. You find it. Mm. And it's that death and resurrection motif. And so I know a lot of people are like, well, if I become a Christian, I don't want to become boring. I don't want to lose what's unique about me and all these things. It's like, you're not going to. It's going to be... It's going to, you're going to die and you're going to be raised up again back in the right relationship with God that you were created for. Yeah. And I love that. I love that, that holistic view of what the gospel accomplishes in our lives. There's even a couple places where Screwtape tells Wormwood, don't let the Christian like 
enjoy a waterfall or enjoy nature or enjoy a good book or enjoy like a hot cup of cocoa, like on the back porch, because all of these things are like good pleasures in and of themselves. Like they're they're enjoying God's creation. It's not instrumentalizing. It's not like, Hey, I'm going to enjoy this so that I can take a picture of myself and post it on social media so that I can get a bunch of, you know, reputation points. If you just enjoy God's creation as it is, that is you're at least in the right direction of moving towards God. And so the, the temptation from Wormwood there is to avoid the good things, avoid the real pleasures. And like you said, pursue the fake pleasures, the ones that are about reputation, vainglory, um, the, the feeling of satisfaction at somebody else, you know, not getting the promotion that you wanted, things that are not good in and of themselves. Whereas, you know, sitting down with your family or your friends and just enjoying company or enjoying laughter or enjoying good food or a good meal, those are the things that God created us to do and enjoy. So, the devil's strategy is actually to remove us from those things, remove us from fellowship, remove us from good things in God's creation and have us pursue just basically shadows of pleasure, prestige and reputation and social media points and all this stuff. And this is, this is, we see this in culture. Like that's, it's not like the beach. That's the, the destination that's fun. It's the pictures or the the reputation or talking about it afterwards. And so we've substituted the real thing for the shadow and here you can get a little bit philosophical. This is like C.S. Lewis's Plato coming out where like we pursue like the shadows or like the the forms rather than like the real things in and of themselves. Um, and yeah, it is kind of sinister, but it's also kind of like it's reassuring that God's creation is good and that God's not calling us to just be like ascetic monks, but he wants us to enjoy creation. Mm-hmm. The problem is in being tempted to use creation for wrong ways or pursue the good things in the wrong ways or pursue shadows of the good things in and of themselves. But yeah, Lewis, deeply insightful. A lot of Great good stuff book. here. If you haven't read it, definitely, definitely you should read it. It's short. It's good. It's accessible. Beautifully written. Yeah, it's a great. It's very challenging. Uh, again, you know, one of the big things, like, you know, to sum it up, really, Lewis is talking about self-focus is the problem. Yep. And that self-focus is essentially pride. Mm-hmm. And that poisons everything. And that can give us false humility, makes us prayerless, makes us critical of the church, critical of other people. Yep. And it makes us people that slowly but surely, you know, drift away from God hmm. and to our own destruction. And, and, the, and the cure is to die to self, to give yourself to God. And in doing that, you receive yourself back, resurrected, changed, and as you were intended to be. Hmm. Brilliant, brilliant it insights. Is. And it's really stood the test of time. I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's prophetic in a lot of ways. So definitely check it out, read it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully this has been helpful for you. Subscribe to this podcast. And uh, we are grateful again for your time with us today. 